Welcome to the mini series for planning part four. We are talking about clearing the mind today. Having a clear mind, one that is not cluttered with constant thoughts of what I could be doing, should be doing, the long to-do list that I constantly have on my brain. We then have more energy, more creativity, more time to be fully present in the moment. Lions, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Clarity of mind is something that I definitely continue to struggle with, but have learned a lot of really practical strategies that have helped me to be way better than I have been previously in my life. And so I want to share those with you today. I'll share two strategies for clearing the mind, and they come from two different people in this space of productivity, living into kind of who you want to be in the world. And so the first one is Greg McEwen. He has a podcast called What's Essential? That daily question that he starts and ends the podcast with of what is the most essential thing today? One of the most powerful episodes that resonated with me is his 23rd episode. Banks Venice has come on and talk about the magic of the four-day work week. While there are certainly schools, particularly in international settings, settings beyond the United States that have four-day school weeks, it is really powerful to think about the underlying values, beliefs, the underlying practices that hold up the magic of a four-day work week. This episode was about a business owner talking about an organization who made the shift to a four-day work week and the difficulties and the challenges that they faced, but ultimately the growth that they achieved once they really got it rolling. One powerful thing that I often talk about when I talk about co-constructing curriculum with students or shared leadership structures at the school level is that by having a culture focused on essentialism, it actually democratizes the workplace. This person who was on was saying, you know, you can then ask your boss if they interrupt you and your work with an immediate ask, a request for you to stop doing what you're doing and join them in a meeting or do something else. You can ask the question because it's part of the culture. Is this thing you're asking me to do right now more important than this project that it will take me away from? So in line with kind of our last episode in this mini planning series, what's the opportunity cost here? Finding a way using the language of essentialism to ask that question to a boss is a powerful opportunity to really have that employee have an opportunity to voice that question and name that their work is important. And also for the boss to have an opportunity to reflect on, is this kind of rush to action, this request for this employee's time, is that actually what's in the best long-term interest of our organization and our mission and purpose? That is such a huge culture change by just prioritizing this one question. What is most essential here? Another piece of this is in reducing, in this particular example, right, reducing a five-day work week to four days requires us to take things off of people's plates or to rearrange those plates to automate some of those tasks 
It reminds me of a leader who I coached last year who did an exercise like this with her team. We were talking about the importance of making sure that what was on everyone's plates was high leverage, was really moving the needle for the school, and also was in alignment with their strengths, their role. Having role clarity was a huge thing she wanted to accomplish as a leader for herself and for her team. So what she did was she took her whole team, she got them all together, and she invited them to write on a post-it. I think some folks were were virtual at this point. And so she may have used a Padlet to do kind of a digital post-it space, but she invited everyone to write on a separate post-it each of the tasks that took up their day or their week. Taking a week long view is helpful because sometimes people have things that are specific to a Monday or a Thursday or whatever. And she just had them list all the tasks that they spent time on. And from there, she had them categorize what is essential and in line with my purpose and role Those are the things that are going to stay on my plate. So what's essential and in line with my purpose and role? That was category one. The next category was what can be taken off of my plates? This is an activity I regularly do. It takes up a lot of my time, but it's not in line with my role on the team or my skill set or both. It's not essential to our growth. From there, we kind of take a look or they took a look at the whole list from everybody's post-its, everything that was there in that category of this can be taken off my plate and then determine what to do with it. One thing that you could do with something on that list is to move it to someone else. And so they found in just having this discussion as a whole team, it was a group of about five to seven people, they were able to determine, oh, actually that fits really well in my role, in in someone else's role on the team. And so they would move it to that team member. Or I'm actually working on a project that is super aligned to that. And for you, it's like this, completely different thing from all the other things you've been doing. But for me, it's actually in perfect alignment with the other things that I've been working on. So yes, I should take that on. And people didn't even know, right? They didn't even know that other people had these activities that were actually in better alignment with their own role and that could actually help them do their role better. And so just having this transparent conversation of these are all the things that take up my time, where can I focus and maybe take on other people's stuff so that they can focus better and also to prevent any sort of bottleneck of, I can't actually do this task that I need to do for my job because I'm held up because you have been taking on the role of doing this other task. And so I need to wait for you to get it back to me so that I can do the thing that I need to do. And they found all these bottlenecks that were holding up productivity and really frustrating employees. And so this was a powerful kind of reorganization of tasks. The other thing they could do when they found items were in the taken off my plate category is to automate it. For example, teachers and grading multiple choice questions. I always say this, but you know, a Google form that auto grades for you does so much work for you in literally going through grading it and also giving the concrete feedback about what the correct answer was and very quickly putting it into a graph where you can see what the most common missed answers were and what the incorrect answer choices were and having that conversation in real time with students immediately after they submit an assessment. That's just one concrete education example, but think about ways that we can automate what is being done. Elimination is the last piece. When things can be taken off my plate, I can move it to someone else, I can automate it, or I can eliminate it. Maybe it doesn't actually need to be done. And this is a scary thing to kind of say, well, we've been doing this for so long this way. What if it just doesn't actually move the needle? What if it doesn't need to be done? This can be really powerful to think through really critically what needs to stay and what can go. 
Another thing that thanks Bennett has said in this podcast episode was that it was important for them when they moved from a five-day work week to a four-day work week to still make time for team brainstorming. So that collaborative energy, that creativity that comes out of talking in a group or in a small partnership or team, generating new ideas from that conversation was critical. And people felt that they were burdening other people. They said, oh, well, I don't want to interrupt them. Now they only have four days to accomplish what they were doing in five. So I'm not going to bother them. And so I'm not going to have that meeting. So I'm not going to creatively brainstorm. And so now we're not having these conversations that actually move the needle further because we're afraid to interrupt and bother people. He talked very honestly about that and said, you know, we needed to build in that culture of team brainstorming through the lens of saying, are we just meeting to meet or do we have a concrete purpose and a reason to think that our meeting and our brainstorming around this is really going to generate some creativity that wouldn't otherwise be created. And that whatever we're talking about and generating ideas about is more essential. It's going to be higher leverage. It's going to move the needle further on where we want to be and what our goals and our vision are for our work and our organization than if we didn't meet and we were just kind of doing whatever else we were individually. Again, that lens of essentialism is still really important there. Big takeaway, I think, from this idea of essentialism every day is to ask, what is most essential today? One day, it may be checking in with a student or teacher who is depressed or has been out of contact a lot. All the other things, yeah, we need to get them done, but it's really critical on a human level to touch base for just five minutes even with that person. So that's going to go on our most essential list. Maybe it's not even work-related. It's more about your wellness or your relationship. An example for me that always gets put on the back burner and really to do it, I need to just be able to say on one given day, this is the most essential thing. And then I will get it done um, is going to the doctor, taking care of our health and our wellness, being able to say, wow, I've put this off for a year. (laughs) You know, this is the day where I'm just going to say, this is the most important thing to do today or else it's never going to get done. My wellness is equally important as my work life. Whatever is most essential today, again, doesn't have to just be your work life. Name that out at the beginning of each day. And then honor that if you don't get that huge to-do list done, because when do we ever get the whole list done? We at least got that really critical piece done because that was what was most essential. And we could still feel that success and that momentum moving forward to the next day, knowing that every day we're going to do at least the most essential thing. The next piece, shifting gears a little bit from Greg McEwen's essentialism, we are going to now think about David Allen's getting things done, his approach to getting things done and being productive. What's fascinating about this, I think, is that he says, and I'm quoting from his his book here, you need no new skills to increase your productivity and reduce your stress. Just an enhanced set of systemic behaviors with which to apply them. And I think that's so powerful, right? We don't need to wait months or years to develop skill sets to help us live better lives. We just need a process or systems that we use to actually make this actionable for us. Here's his system. He basically says there's all this stuff, right? Again, back to the core idea for today, clearing our minds, clearing our brains. There's all this stuff that's just rattling around in our brains that's often taking us out of the present moment, causing us stress. Usually it's a lot of stuff we can take action on, this to-do list jumping around in there and taking up creative space and energy in our brains. And it's doing that because it doesn't have a system to go somewhere. He says, our brains know if we don't write something down, we're going to forget it. And so it will only give us enough creative ideas to hold in our brain at one time. And so we're actually limiting our creativity by having all this stuff jostling around up there. 
without being able to write it down or, or put it somewhere where we know and we trust and we are confident that we will not forget it because it is in a system. And the system piece is important, right? Because we can write things down on paper and then we lose the scrap of paper and, and all of that. So it is really important that it is a system that is trustworthy and reliable. And we've used it enough and relied on it enough that we know that we're not going to lose the idea from our brain. And so then our brain gives us more creative ideas. And I, I love that this idea of productivity is grounded and centered in being present and being creative and, and having energy for the things that we want to do and be rather than just getting things done to get things done. David Allen says, we have stuff in our brains. He says, what we need to do is first ask the question, is it actionable? Is this thing rattling around in my brain something that I can and need to take action on? If the answer is yes, there's a specific system. If the answer is no, there's a specific system. So let's say that it is not something actionable. I might not even need it. When I was teaching, I would get a lot of paper memos in my mailbox, or it could be an email, right? A digital memo. We want to let you know this is happening. Okay. Trash. If I don't need to remember it and I don't need to take action on it, I can just put that in the trash or recycling rather. I don't need to save that piece of paper and let it clutter up my desk. It can go in the trash. If it is not actionable, but it is an idea that I could take action on someday, or I might take action on someday, he says we can hold on to that for review. And he says, there's a couple different things that we could do here. One is we put it in a paper filing system or a Google doc or, you know, whatever system it is, or we can schedule it on our calendar, like a month out. An example he uses is I need to do my taxes April 15th. So I'm going to put in my calendar, a reminder on March 15th, you have one month to do your taxes. There is kind of this reminder system built in. You have a place for, and a system for the someday, maybe I will take action items. And then you have a separate system for reference items, things that are not actionable. I think of like quotes or links to things that like, ooh, someday it would be really cool if I'm wanting to bake something and I don't know what to bake. I have this list like on a Pinterest board where I have all these really cool recipes I want to try making, but this isn't something that I'm going to take action on in the sense of a project. It's just kind of for reference for when I'm thinking about this particular thing, if I categorize it in a way that's easy to find in a place that I know where it is, then I can go pick it up someday and be able to use it or reference it. Again, if it's not actionable, it can go in the trash. It can go in a someday maybe kind of organization system that may remind you, or it may just live in a stagnant Google Doc or filing system, or it can be put in a reference file, something that you want to check out when inspiration strikes and you want to be able to reference it later. But it's not something that has to be reviewed regularly. Whereas the someday maybe file, he recommends reviewing that uh, weekly so that you don't lose sight of those. Because if you don't review it weekly, he says your brain will not trust that you have a reliable system for reminding you of that idea, of that idea for this really cool project that you had. It's going to return to your head and take up that space because yeah, you wrote it down, but two weeks have gone by and you haven't read through it again. So I think that's a really interesting distinction from what I initially was thinking of just like, oh yeah, you file it in Google Docs. I do that all the time. No, it's something we need to review. Now let's think about the actionable things. They are things that you can take action on and you can take action on them, I would say within the next month. So first he says, will it take less than two minutes to do? The dog doesn't have food and you need to put food in the dog bowl and you're standing right next to the dog bowl like, oh, I really should do that. Right, is it gonna take two minutes? If the answer is yes, you need to do it right now. If you forgot to remind someone of something and it will take less than two minutes to send them a quick text or an email, do it right now. And then your brain doesn't need to hold on to it anymore. You can let it go because it's done. If it does not take less than two minutes, you can either delegate it 
have someone else take it on. I might be interested in leading a professional development workshop at a staff meeting this month, but I have to ask permission from my principal. I can ask the question. That's the next step that has to happen. I have to ask first, but then it's going to go on my waiting list because I want to follow up, right? My principal may be really busy and I'm going to need to kind of circle back maybe a week from now or tomorrow or whenever it is. And so I still need a system for where that goes. So I don't completely lose sight of it. Maybe that goes on my calendar. If it's a time sensitive thing, right? Check back in with principal regarding whatever. And I put that on, on Friday. If I'm asking on Monday, I want to follow up within a week. Or maybe that's a separate paper list or a Google doc list, right? That you check weekly to just make sure if it's not time sensitive, that you're still following up on things. So if it is actionable, takes more than two minutes, you can delegate it. You're still going to want to have kind of a, what he calls a waiting list. I'm waiting on a response from this. And you're going to want to review it as with everything he says, you want to review it weekly. So your brain trusts that it's still there. Now, if it takes more than two minutes, can't delegate it. You got to do it later yourself. You can do a couple things. One, he says, put it on the calendar. So if it's time sensitive, put it on the calendar. Or he says to do kind of a next action list. I will do this as soon as I get to it kind of thing. So that's on paper or digitally, it lives as a list. My two cents here, I think for all the deferrets, for all the things I will do later because they take more than two minutes, I put it on the calendar. Even if it is not time specific, I don't like to-do lists that do not live on my calendar because then I don't know that they can possibly get done. Often, if I just have a to-do list that is not scheduled in chunks of time on my calendar, I work more than eight hours a day or I move my work into the weekend. This is a really critical piece too around boundaries, which we talked about previously in the last episode. If we set boundaries that we don't want to work more than eight hours a day or whatever that number is for you, and we're striving to say no to things that cross those boundaries, one way to say no, at least for me, is to say, well, I literally don't have room on my schedule for that. I've already booked all the actions, whether they're meetings that are happening in real time or they're just action items that are on my to-do list, but they're important for me to get done. I can't say yes to a meeting. My week is full. I would say things that take longer than two minutes, put it on the calendar. Things that should be done within the next month. If you don't have room on this week's calendar, you know you can move to next week and, and put it on there again if it's not time sensitive. There's one last category that he talks about. That is things that are actionable, but are not going to be done this month. They are things that are kind of longer term goals. Maybe you want to achieve them within the year. He says, have a separate system for those projects. And again, review it weekly. Remind yourself that these were your project ideas. That's a separate piece. It's not a daily to-do list. You are constantly maybe adding action steps to this particular project, the plans for the project itself, how you're going to actually accomplish it without actually taking action on it right away. Going through all of those different pieces, here's what I do. The system that works for me. My approach for projects is I use Emily Aries at Boss Up. She created the Life Tracker Planner. And so I use that on each monthly page before the month actually starts is a brain dump. For this month, here are all the possible things I might do before I select which ones I'm actually gonna put into my calendar and say are essential to my overarching goals and vision. I'm just gonna dump them onto that place. That space works really well for me. It could be a Google Doc for you. Sometimes I've played around with Asana. I know some people love the project management tool Asana. Planning on Asana I've done in the past and that sometimes works, but it's also not a system that I am routinely checking in on. I don't use it for other things. It really was just kind of my long-term planning projects for things, again, that could be done within the year, but I was calendaring out action steps across several months. 
that was okay, but it just didn't totally work for me because it wasn't part of the thing that I was checking daily. The life tracker planner is something that I check daily or at least weekly. And so that works better for me. So again, find the thing that works best for you. To defer something, the things that take longer than two minutes, I can take action on them, but I can't take them right now. I will take them within a month. I put it on my calendar. I try to conservatively estimate the time it takes. So if I think I can do that in 15 minutes, I usually book 30 minutes. All the deference, I put it on my calendar. The things to delegate, I try to immediately ask them. I use Voxer as a tool. If I'm collaborating on a project with someone or if I'm talking to Leah for the business, right? I can go ahead and Vox really quickly. That takes less time for me than typing out an email. Or I can add notes if I have an upcoming meeting scheduled to collaborate with someone and kind of talk through a project we're working on. And I want to bring something up about that project. I just add it into my calendar right in that meeting, add it in the notes section. Another option would be, you know, again, I love Google Docs, but creating a Google Doc that is an ongoing meeting template for um, the partnership or the collaboration. Dr. Sheree Bridges Patrick and I have an ongoing Google Doc. So every Friday we meet, we collaborate, we brainstorm really cool stuff that we want to do, some projects to work on. And we have an ongoing document of all of that just on one simple Google Doc. Now for the things that are not actionable in the Sunday piece, he encourages people to review that list weekly. For me, I have a strategic planning hour on Mondays. And so my Sunday stuff is reviewed on Mondays along with all of my other pieces, my longer term projects, my calendar for the week, all those things. So strategic planning hour for me is kind of Monday morning. What are the biggest goals for the week? What is most essential? How does that translate into my daily life day to day? What is the most essential thing each day? And I will actually write it out on my life tracker planners on paper. And then I will make sure my calendar is in line with my boundaries. I'm not working more than eight hours each day. I'm not working on the weekend. And I just really think with that strategic lens for that someday list, is there something that I could calendar out for the next couple of weeks or maybe next month, get it on that calendar. Or I want to put it in my monthly brainstorm dump in the next month on my life tracker planner, like whatever it is, I want to make sure that I have designated time every Monday morning to just go through and check out that list. And then reference, I just, again, love Google docs. And so I just want to make sure that I have appropriately categorized docs in different folders that correspond with the relevant parts of my life, my business, different projects or collaboration points that I'm working on. Wrapping up this episode and thinking back to the ultimate goal here, we want to clear our brains. We want to bring more energy, more creativity, more presence into our daily life and our work. Uh, David Allen says, if the project is still on your mind, right? If some action is still on your mind, there's more thinking required. And so what he encourages people to do is just sit down and write it down go through those action steps, right? Determine can action be taken right now? Does it take two minutes or less? If not, is it a project? It goes on the year long project list. Is it a someday project? Is it something that you can delegate or do you defer it? And in my two cents, put it on the calendar. If it's still in your mind, take just two minutes to think it through, write it down somewhere, organize it so that you know where to find it later. And you'll be sure to review it each week. And then your brain will let it go. He's worked with thousands of, of clients on this. And he says about 80% will just need to list the outcome. So literally naming what you want to have happen is like a really big piece of this. There are things that maybe we feel like we should be doing, but we're not sure what our ultimate outcome is. And so it's hard to answer that essentialism question. Is it essential, right? To bring in Greg McEwen's work again. If we don't know what the ultimate outcome is, like, why are we doing this, right? What's our purpose? So to name that outcome, what does the end result look like concretely? Now we can talk about what one next action might be to get towards that. 
and that will get it out of our head 80% of the time. List the outcome, say the one next step. He says 15% of the time, it's going to take some more brainstorming. And then he says, you know, only about 5% is actually going to require longer project planning. So starting with your purpose, getting to your principles, going to your vision, doing some brainstorming, organizing those brainstorming of action steps, and then figuring out the next action and who's going to take it on. Is it me? Is it someone else I have to delegate to? Right. He's saying that's only about 5%. 80% is just listing what you want to have happen and naming one next action. And again, our brain gives us more creative ideas when you can capture them on paper or digitally without holding on to them. This is so powerful to being able to unlock our energy, our creativity, and our presence. I hope this was helpful for you. I have created a productive planning template for you that integrates these ideas of essentialism and productivity and helping you get things out of your head and onto paper and recognize that we only have a certain amount of hours in the day. We're only going to get done what is most essential. And so that question of essentialism is really what's going to help us leave the to-do list as a list form and just be okay with whatever we get done, knowing it was the most essential thing to get done for the day. Coming up, we still have a few more episodes in the planning series. We have talked through how to spend your time with a 50-40-10 planning approach. That was part one of the series. Part two was all the tips. If you have not listened already, look at some tips for building momentum on, on behavior change and habit change and five tips for sustainable scheduling. Part three was rethinking the beliefs that get in the way, some concrete mindset shifts that need to happen for us to make big change and transformation in our work and our lives. This episode was about clearing the mind. Next time we have part five, which is advancing our personal wellness, looking at the aspects of wellness and taking practical strategies that we can actually do in our days to make us more well. And finally, part six is going to be how to lesson plan more efficiently and effectively. Often we find ourselves planning and planning and planning in these unproductive ways that actually take up a ton of our time and prohibit us from making the big moves that we really want to advance our careers and our lives. If you haven't watched any of the previous episodes, go back and watch them and get excited for the next two coming up. If you want to take a in-depth walk through how I saved a ton of hours planning time, 700 hours in one year as a teacher, please check out my self-paced online course, Work Less, Teach More, which is now open for enrollment. The course is 197 and I don't know about you, but my professional and mental well-being is worth way more to me than $200. You can enroll today at bit.ly slash WLTM course. If you're a school leader and you want to help your teachers free up that time, that energy, become more present, unlock that creativity that is required to tackle these big transformative initiatives that we have, you can purchase this course for your teachers as a pilot for one department or grade team or for your whole school. If you as a teacher or school leader want to chat with me to see if the course would be a good fit, go ahead and shoot me an email at hello at lindsaybethlyons.com. I will see you in the next planning series episode. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.